Blog Talk Radio. On our eighth episode of the Ivy, we'll be discussing Cubs news and how their first two spring training games have went, as well as a new series based on a review of a player's career. And to start it off, Gary Matthews. We talk about it all on our third episode of the Ivy. Bipolar with the check. Bipolar. I just put some crazy around my neck. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Ivy, as myself, Thomas, and my partner, Max, will be here with you for the next 45 minutes to dive into everything Cubs-related. If you like the Cubs, you've come to the right place, and we're extremely grateful that you took some time out of your Sunday night to join us here. Max, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. All right. Well, tonight we'll be talking about some Cubs updates, including a dive into the Cubs' first two spring training games, and we'll talk a little bit about some updates in free agency around the MLB. And then we'll wrap it up with our first edition of Cub of Yesteryear, where we'll be highlighting Gary Matthews, or also known as the Sarge, for today's first edition. And lastly, make sure to call into the show by calling the number 845-277-9345. That's 845-277-9345 to join us and ask a question or comment on anything Cubs related. So now we're going to get into the first section of today's podcast, and that's going to be our audio mailbag. And they're going to bring in Benson, who's going to ask Matt and I a couple questions uh, for the next 10 minutes or so. Questions from Daniel. Do you think Bryant, Rizzo, or Baez have a chance at MVP this year? And does anyone else have a chance? Go Thomas, ahead, I'll let you lead the – okay. Um, personally, I believe um, if um, they're all healthy, I would say Chris Bryant has the best chance at um, winning an MVP this season. Um, possible other guys, um, I could see Javi repeating, um, what he did last year. Um, obviously it'll be hard, but he could do it. Um, but I see Bryant having the best chance. I see Bryant having the best chance as well. Um, but I also think that Javier Baez could be right there because of what he did last year. And he fell a little short behind Yelich, but that was because Yelich had a great year so. I, actually, I would say bias is the best chance, honestly. All right, second question, Max. Our next question is from Nick. Sorry, chance sorry. that Cubs winning the division this year? I would say for me, uh, as for like an actual percent, probably uh, I would say like 50 to 60% because, I mean, all those other teams have – um, you know, especially I know we talked about last week, especially the Cardinals and the Brewers um, have a good shot at winning it as well. And then you fix in the Pirates and Reds. So I would say probably like 50, 50 pretty 50 50 for me. How about you, Max? Uh, I'd probably be right around um, where Thomas is. Probably a little less so. Um, the Cardinals probably have the best chance under us. Uh, Thomas, I know you think the Brewers are going to have a pretty good year, too, um, but I'd, I'd mm-hmm. go right around where you are. Yeah. All right, Benson, you have a third question? Yes, it's from DK. Was it really worth it getting Quintana? Go ahead, Max. Um, so that's an interesting question. Um, I think the Quintana trade, um, obviously it's hard to see your top two prospects go, 
um, especially Eloy Jimenez. Um, I think we all knew um, how good he was going to be, and I think Theo knew that too. Um, and I, I think it was a great trade for both sides. Um, obviously, we won't see who won the trade until um, Eloy and Cease both actually play at the MLB level and see how they produce. Um, but really, I think it comes down to um, how Cease produces. But overall, um, I think it was a good move. Um, and obviously, it's a super friendly um, team salary. But um, if I were to say, if I could have gone back and changed it, um, personally, I would change it. As much as um, I love Q, he's one of my favorite players. But um, it really comes down to the fact that um, Eloy is elite, and Cease looked great with them last year. Um, and really, I think if they're if Cease is healthy for them, um, they no question won that trade. Yeah, I would say that if I could go back, I probably would change it because we haven't uh, gotten what we've totally wanted out of Quintana yet. But at the same time, for me, it's never been Quintana's fault as for these, this team's shortcomings in the last two years that we've had him uh, in 2017 and 2018. So uh, I think if he can keep doing what he's doing, that if he could – maybe this year get a World Series ring um, and be a, a key part of that rotation uh, in the postseason possibly, then uh, I think that conversation will possibly switch a lot. <clears throat> All right, Benson, you have another question? All right, we're going to go to our final questions from Nika. What is our weakness heading into the season? So, for me, uh, I think it's definitely still left-handed relieving pitching. It's pretty specific, but when, you know, it's, it's really important, too, because of all this and everything. Um, we have a lot of strong righties, but as for lefties, it's a little weak. And also, then, I would say backup catcher, which I know we've highlighted uh, a lot uh, with the Ivy in the last seven episodes. But... Um, the fact that Victor Caratini can't really push through behind Wilson Contreras even just once or twice a week is a little concerning. Um, maybe that's where Miguel Maya comes in uh, in a couple of years. But, Max, how about you? Um, I'd probably have to agree with you there. Um, I think I like our left-handed uh, relief pitching a little bit better than you. Um, I really like Sedano, uh, Montgomery Montgomery as our um, our long reliever. Um but I totally agree with you on backup catching. Um, obviously, Caratini hasn't produced um, at the rate we want him to as a backup catcher, and I definitely think that um, that needs to be um, something we look at at the deadline if Caratini is once again not producing. Definitely. And before we get into our first topic today, I also want to mention that we have a promo code on Stubyard. That's BPN10 for 10% off any tickets for any event. We're going to Later on the show, talk about the Cubs' upcoming five games. If you want to go to Mesa or you live out west, um, definitely check out Stubyard. Use promo code BPN10 for 10% off any tickets. But, Max, we're going to get into our first topic today after the mailbag, and that's Cubs updates and news. And we're just going to roll through a few of these guys. Um, If you have any uh, opinions or anything, just stop me or I'll ask um, if you have anything else to add. But when we look at it right now, um, coming out of camp, we know that Chris Bryant is now back to his normal swing uh, from pre-injury, and it, it, it looked great in that first at-bat with the two-run homer. Uh, anything else that you want to add on with Chris Bryant uh, looking looking great uh, in the first in the first game? 
Yeah, uh, I'd have to agree with you there. Um, obviously, there was multiple highlight videos of Chris's swing. Um, it, I mean, if he's healthy this year, um, I definitely think he can have an MVP candidacy, and um, I'm excited to see how he does. Definitely. Um, and then we know Ben Zobris is to camp. He reported on Friday. Uh, he's ready for, quote, a leadership role. Not much to add there. Um, and then left-hander Mike Montgomery, uh, he's had his bullpen work delayed because of some stiffness in his shoulder, uh, but he's continuing to play catch as he builds toward what the club calls an imminent first bullpen session of the spring. And uh, other than that, it looks like also Madden would not divulge whether his uh, choice of John Lester would be his opening day starter in Texas on March 28th. Uh, do you have anything else to add or uh, anything to bring up for the club's updates before we get into uh a few of the starters for the next few games and what we've done in the first two? Uh, not much. Obviously, we know um, Madden wouldn't talk about um, uh, who his opening day starter would be. Um, it kind of leads me to think that he's leaning towards um, another guy. Obviously, it's more about matchups, as we know. Um, Texas's park um, is one of the most hitter-friendly in baseball. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, who he puts out there. Um, obviously, I, I'd probably be fine with any of the first three guys, and that's Lester, Hamels, or Hendricks. Um, honestly, at this point, um, I, can, I, I most likely see him putting out Lester just because of his success last year and the, in the past few years. Definitely. All right, so we're going to get into now going over game one, which was yesterday against the Brewers. Uh, it was at Sloan Park in Mesa, and uh, obviously we're just – I think, Max, the best way to go about this would be uh, with the game summary, just kind of go through uh, some of the some of the keys and then maybe uh, at the end just kind of give an overview of the game. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good to me. All right, so uh, like we mentioned before, uh, Chris Bryant had the two-run homer. It was Chase Anderson starting uh, for the Brewers, and it was, I believe it's Jen Hill who sang. Uh, I know we've seen him in the MLB before. Uh, but Chris Bryant had two-run homer to start it off. And also Daniel Descalso added an RBI single in the new Cub. Uh, that was good to see. And Hayward also had a leadoff single. Uh, he scored a run. And then uh, other than that, it was, uh, I believe, the final score yep, Final score was 8-4. to four. Uh, Sang went two innings. He gave up two runs and four hits, so that wasn't great. Um, but both teams had ten hits apiece. And... Uh, I think the bullpen was pretty good. Uh, we gave up a, a run in both the sixth and the eighth after the two early ones. Um, but overall, for me, uh, I think it was a pretty good game. I mean, we're not going to get too in deep here in these spring training games, but uh, we saw KB hit well, and the bullpen was pretty good. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, so I'm going to touch on the second game a, l- um, a little bit. Uh, that was earlier today. Uh, Tyler Chatwood started off the game, went two innings, and allowed a two-run homer to Brandon Belt. Um, the Cubs then scored eight r- runs in the top of the second inning. Uh, Madison Bumgarner was pulled before he could record an out in the second. Um, Madison Bumgarner um, also had a hit David Bodie. Um, I'll touch on a little bit of that later. Um, so in the second inning, Victor Caratini, Jacob Hanneman, Albert Almora, and Mark Zagunas all racked up RBI singles, while Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber got back-to-back RBI walks. 
Um, Addison Russell had a sack fly RBI along with a Ryan Court RBI single, which ended the Cubs' beginning in the second. Um, Johnny Field also hit a solo homer in the seventh to beat the Giants by a score of 9-5. to um, We start spring training off 2-0. and um, Definitely all positive notes so far. Um, another big note from today, um, the bullpen was outstanding um, other than Duncan Robinson. Um, so those five guys include Ryan Kellogg, Dylan Maples, James Norwood, Dakota Meeks, and Alan Webster. Uh, they combined for five and two-thirds innings pitched, only two hits allowed, no no runs, three walks, and four Ks. Um, I was definitely happy to see that, especially by all those young guys. Um, I think we've been hoping for um, Dylan Maples to, to hit for a while now. Um, he was a forgotten prospect a few years ago, pitched in the MLB a little bit, and um, he really didn't do all that great. Um, so obviously this was a good starting point for him. Um, along with well-known prospect Dakota Meeks. Um, I think a lot of people are excited to see him pitching out of the bullpen. Thomas, do you got anything else to add? Oh, uh, yeah, <clears throat> a couple things. One for the Cubs and one for the Giants, actually. Uh, for Tyler Chatwood, um, I don't know if you really touched on him, but he had two innings. He started the game, and he had he gave, he gave up two hits and two earned runs uh, because of a Brandon Belt to run homer, and it's not that Chatwood was, like, terrible by any means. I didn't, wasn't able to watch the game, but I saw, like, his stats and his pitches and everything. Um, but only one strikeout in two innings, and giving up homers to lefties was kind of something we saw a lot. Uh, so that wasn't super promising there. But like you said, the other bullpen guys are great. And then the other thing I was going to highlight was that Madison Bumgarner opened this game, and I get it, second game for us at least, and I think it was uh, the second game for San Francisco as well. But and it's early and everything. But Madison Bumgarner uh, gave up, you know, five hits and six runs in the second before he could even muster an out. Uh, so I thought that was a little interesting. But do you have anything else to add before we get into uh, the next five games and just kind of a brief overview of what time and who started? No, not anything. All right. So I'll go through uh, Monday through Wednesday, and I'll let you handle Thursday and Friday. Um, but tomorrow we have a split squad. Uh, but the main event, I guess you could say, is John Lester versus Padres at Sloan Park. Uh, all these games are at 2.05 Central Time except for Friday. And then Tuesday we're going to see you Darvish um, go up against Arizona. That's at Sloan Park as well. It'll be, it'll be great to see you uh, pitch. I hope that game is televised. And uh, I'll make sure to let you guys know uh, on Instagram if it is televised. Um, and then Wednesday, Cole Hamels will face his former team in Texas Rangers at Surprise Stadium in Surprise, Arizona. And obviously that's the first game for Cole versus former team for what it's worth. Uh, but, Max, you want to do Thursday and Friday, and then the add, we can get you the second topic. Yeah, so Thursday uh, we have Kyle Hendricks versus the Oakland Athletics at Sloan Park. Um, and then Friday, Jose Quintana versus the Arizona Diamondbacks um, at 210 Central Time. Um, and that's away at Salt River Fields at Talking Stick, um, which is in Scottsdale. Um, we're definitely excited for this week um, as we get to see um, our main five starting pitchers. Um, and like Thomas said, we'll let you guys know if the games will be televised. And now we'll be going into an ad. Make sure to tune into the Mullins Catch this Monday night at 730 Eastern. 
we will be discussing and breaking down the progression of the hitters and pitchers throughout the first week of spring training. With the first spring training game of this season, Saturday against the Cardinals, we will be seeing how Sandy Alcantara pitches and how all the other hitters and pitchers look in the first game back. We will also be discussing Cito Sanchez, the most exciting Marlins arm since Jose Fernandez, and the signing of reliever Sergio Romo. With 2019 season around the corner, we will be discussing the potential of players like Monte Harrison, Lewis Brinson, and Julio Fernandez. You don't want to miss it this Monday at 7.30 Eastern on the Marlins Catch Podcast. All right, welcome back into the eighth episode of the Ivy. As Max and I break down everything Cubs related, but now we're going to get into our second topic where we're going to change that topic to the whole MLB as we've seen a few signings, actually quite a few, uh, in the last talk to you in the last week. And also uh, quite a few rumors coming out, obviously involving Bryce Harper and another special reliever. But, Max, uh, I'll let you open it up with a few rumors that we've heard around the league this last week. Yeah, so um, obviously uh, we've been waiting for Bryce Harper to sign with most likely the Phillies for a while now. Um, And we got a few new reports on him. Uh, Reportedly, um, told by um, other teams, he's been asking 350 to $360 million. Um, I I guess that most of you guys have now heard that um, Manny Machado has signed with the Padres. Um, He got a 10-year, $300 million deal. Um, so I guess that Bryce Harper will, um, get around what he's asking for. Um, now that Manny did get 300 million, um, I guess that, um, me specifically, I wasn't thinking that Manny was going to get close to 300 million. I was guessing that he was going to get more in the 250 to 260, uh, range. Um, Thomas, I don't know if you agree with me or not. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, so before we just get into that, Max, I want to touch up on something with the TV games. Uh, tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday are all televised games this week. Uh, Saturday is only the game on Cubs Network. Tomorrow is on MLB.com. And then if you have MLB TV, Friday is on Fox Sports Arizona. Uh, just to let you guys know that. But uh, for me, yeah, I think Bryce Harper gets a deal that's like probably 10 years, uh, 350, yeah. Probably 10 years, 350, 360. Um, he's, it, it's not like he's going to get 12 years for 360 because then it'd be the same value as Machado, but he's more valuable than him. So that's where I see uh, 10 years, 360. Um, I know that we talked about Bob Nightingale with the Phillies deal and how it could be done tomorrow afternoon. I don't see why it wouldn't be because at this point, um, I think the Phillies are going to get him. I think everyone knows that. Um, I know someone asked, in the mailbag questions that we couldn't, we couldn't answer on my Instagram, uh, but they asked if the Yankees had any chance at Bryce Harper, and for me, that answer would be no. And then, uh, did you talk about Craig Kimbrell yet or no? No, I haven't. Okay, so also uh, we got news that Craig Kimbrell could sit out in 2019 if he doesn't get the deal he believes he deserves. And as for me, uh, we've seen this in other sports before with guys holding out uh, for personal reasons or if it's financially with their salaries. And to me, I I think that, you know, like Le'Veon Bell, for instance, you know, he, he he held out and now he's going to be able to go to a team that he wants to go to. And if that's what's going to uh, think, if that's what's going to make them feel like they're being heard and, uh, you know, having that voice, then I think they should be able to do whatever they want. 
um, in my opinion. And it's disappointing to see talent sitting out from just a fan like perspective, a fan of the MLB. But sometimes uh, these guys, you know, they they want to be heard like that. What do you think? What do you think about that overall issue in sports, Max, with guys sitting out, whether it's for personal reasons or uh, salary? Um, honestly, I believe that um, I see it kind of silly. Um, they get an opportunity um, to to play the sport they love. Um, and I think mm-hmm. if you really do love the sport, you should um, be playing no matter what. But I also get their perspective um, because if they do get injured and they're on a one-year deal – and they're making fifteen twenty million. Um, obviously, that's still a lot of money, but to them, um, the more money they have, the less they think of it. So I guess they, I, I guess I see both perspectives. Um, overall, though, I really think that they should they should be playing. Um, it really doesn't make sense to me why they wouldn't be playing. Um, I I just see it silly uh, that he's going to sit out because he's not getting what he deserves. But I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna argue with you if you think that um, that he deserves to sit out and like and that he um, should sit out if he doesn't get the amount of money that he deserves. Um, he's one mm-hmm. of the best closers ever, if not the best um, under Murano R- Rivera. Um, I, I just it doesn't ultimately make sense to me why he would sit out if he really does love the game. Thing where like. At this point, does his does his legacy matter more to him? You know, because if he sits out, your legacy goes away so much. You know, like, it, does his legacy matter more to him than, you know, getting his salary? You know, whether it's an extra... Because he's not arguing about getting a salary. He's arguing, like, just getting, you know, just a little bit more. Like, someone's there offering it. He's just trying to kind of, like, one-up everyone and... He has the ability to because it's almost like a monopoly because he's the only one out there anymore that can provide what he can. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, you, you risk your legacy for that, and the great ones do because they love the game. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. Um, and then <clears throat> we're going to get into a few signings now. Uh, like Max said, the Manny Machado thing was the biggest thing. Uh, all week, 10 years, $300 million contract with the Padres. Uh, we do know that the White Sox final offer to Machado uh, was around $250 million over eight years, plus a couple other year vesting options uh, with some incentives built in. But I heard, I think I read a, a tweet that said the White Sox owner said that they couldn't go over $300 million or couldn't get up to it. But in my opinion, I don't understand that tweet because, or not that tweet, but that, that comment, because uh, if that's the ballpark, which we all knew it was for these two players, uh, you know, does it really matter what that number is? Because if you're with another team, you know, the price is already kind of being set by these players. Didn't they already know that coming into it? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I see what you're like saying. Two, two, 50 for eight was low, and I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I did see the same thing you did on Twitter. Um, ultimately, it really doesn't. It doesn't necessarily add up because if they're willing to go 350 on incentives that he'd most likely reach, um, unless they're going to limit his plate appearances just to not give him the extra 30 million or however much much it was, um, mm-hmm. 
it doesn't it doesn't all add up. Yeah, because I think it was thirty five million apiece based on plate appearances and then thirty million more in incentives and escalators, probably involving playoffs or something, but like Machado goes to the White Sox. They have a few young pieces with Moncada and, you know, Abreu and they get it they get some pitchers and uh that team makes the playoffs and all of a sudden, yeah, your contract's up to three fifty. So that's where yeah, I didn't understand that quote. Um and I don't know if there was something I'm missing. Uh but yeah, it seems like you're a little confused as well with that. Yeah. All right. Um, also, the White Sox did sign right-handed pitcher Irvin Santana, uh, so they shifted their focus a little bit there, <laughs> going from Machado uh, to Santana. And then another one I really liked was Marvin Gonzalez, uh, two years, $21 million deal with the Twins. Um, like most of you probably know, I'm from Minnesota, uh, so I go to a decent amount of Twins games, and it's definitely a fun team. I know uh, there's a lot of a lot of underrated predictions out there, Uh that is saying the Twins could possibly sneak a spot into into the playoffs or maybe not even a wild card spot but take over the Indians. Uh, hey, champs. Yeah, what do you think about uh, Marlon Gonzalez to the Twins, especially for that kind of deal? It seems almost cheap, and the utility guy never hurts. Yeah, um, I think that's a, that's probably one of my favorite deals um, of the whole offseason by any team. Um, I have mm-hmm. the Twins. Obviously, we did our predictions last week. Um, I know we had to speed through them a little bit, uh, but after that signing and the more I looked into the Twins, um, I have them overtopping the Indians um, in the AL Central. Um, I know that's going to be controversial. Um, I think we all have opinions, um, but I really like their young core, and I think if um, that infield, um, it's really good. I mean, I guess Marwin is going to be playing pretty much all over the field. Um, but as long as the bullpen and starting pitching can hold up, um, I really see them right up there with the Indians next season. Yeah, and the thing for me is now with a team with Nelson Cruz, Marlon Gonzalez, and Logan Morrison, and a decent pitching staff, um, it seems like a team that's more built for a regular season. So I would not be surprised if the Twins won the Central. But at the same token, I would still predict that if the Indians – we're in a wild card game, and they won that, and they faced the Twins uh, in the AL ALDS. Uh, that I think the Indians would win in a, in a five game series, but I would not be surprised if the Twins were able to win the AL Central there for sure. Yeah, um, I agree. But another, yeah, another guy uh, that we've seen in the NL Central quite a lot is Josh Harrison. He signed a one year deal with the Tigers. I don't think there's a whole lot. A whole lot here to this. I know Harrison's a pretty a pretty decent day-to-day player, but over the years it seems like he's he just kind of gone astray in a way, Max. What, what do you think of that deal? Um, so I live in Michigan, so I was pretty excited to see uh, that the Tigers had finally made um, a half-decent offseason move. Uh, they signed a few starting pitchers earlier in the offseason, um, but I think this is a really good deal for them. Um, they could ship him off at the deadline for – um, prospects. Uh, we've seen um, many non-contenders do that in past years. So I, I think it's a pretty good deal for them because if you can get um, a few prospects back, like um, they got Candelario and Paredes from the Cubs a few years back when they traded us, um, Avila and Wilson. Obviously, I, uh, I don't think any Cubs fan would go against saying that 
we lost that trade. But um, I think it's a good deal by them. And really, um, for any for any young team that is still trying to improve to have a veteran on the team like that. Yeah, I don't mind the veteran presence, but at, looking at his stats last year with a 250 average and a 293 on base and only 13 doubles along with a near 90% K rate and 46% pull rate and only walk-in less than 5% of the time, uh, I think it's it's a fine move, I guess, especially for a younger team. Uh, but another guy that is another veteran is Hanley Ramirez, who I believe was either this morning or last night signed uh, by the Indians with a minor league deal. Uh, and then Jose Iglesias signed a minor league deal with the Reds. Any thoughts on those last two uh, before we go to the admin? Um, Not much. Uh, as we know, they're both minor league deals. Um, but like I was saying earlier, um, the Reds, young team, um, obviously have some young guys coming up and some young guys already on the roster. Um, so I guess Iglesias, we, you probably won't see much um, playing with the Reds. Um, and if he is, then we'll most likely see him um, in the NL Central. And now we'll be moving on to our ad and then our third topic after um, Gary Matthews' Cub of Yesteryear. This week on the newest episode of FanCast, a Phillies podcast, we will be discussing the different signings and potential rumors surrounding Bryce Harper and the Phillies. Yes, Manny Machado will not be donning the red pinstripes as he has signed a 10-year, $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. We will discuss where the Phillies go from here and if John Middleton, Matt Klentak, and the rest of the front office will be amped up in order to secure Bryce Harper. After Bryce Harper and other mega free agent talks, will the Phillies pursue Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell, the two other main free agents left on the board? All this and more on the newest episode of FanCast. Make sure to tune in as Bryce Harper will be signing soon. Welcome back into the eighth episode of the Ivy, as we're going to be going into our third topic, and we're having a new addition now on the show. I know we were doing uh, inside the numbers. Uh, I think we did four or five sabermetric stats, but now we're going to be doing a new addition for however uh, many weeks, and it is Cub of Yesteryear. And today is going to be Gary Matthews, and essentially this edition is just kind of going through uh, a past Cubs player and talking about their stats, some interesting stats, um, and then maybe what they're doing now. Uh, so, like I said, today is Gary Matthews, uh, also nicknamed the Sarge. And, Max, I was thinking that I would just go through some stats. First off, I know uh, that you're going to have a few things about what he's doing today, um, but I was just going to go through some stats, and I'll let you go after that. Okay. All right, so <clears throat> first off, uh, Gary Matthews, for all who don't know him, he was an outfielder. Uh, he played on the Cubs for four years. Uh, he mainly played the corners of right and left field, not really a center field guy. Started his career with the Giants, where he was drafted. He ended up playing 16 years in the MLB. Uh, he played with the Giants for five years until he was 26 years old. And then he uh, moved to Atlanta, where he played for four years, and then Philly for three years. So all this time was in the NL. And then he was with the Lovett Cubs for four years. And he played for his first time in the AL on the Mariners in his last year of his career. 
He only played 45 games in the AL, which I thought was kind of interesting. I know that um, I know that a lot of players kind of have like some players are just NL guys and some guys are just AL guys. But I thought that was a little interesting that out 45 games, you know, he went and played with the Mariners his last year. Uh, but he overall had a 281 average, which was, you know, it's very impressive over 16 years in the league. And then I also uh, had just a few quirky, weird stats that I found. Uh, and listen to these, Max. You might get a kick out of these. Uh, he took 103 walks in 1984, which was, like, that's absolutely insane. You know, you take 60 to yeah. 70 walks in a season, yeah. you know, once, once every other day. So he right. had 103 walks in 1984. And he played in 162 games for the Phillies in 1982 when he was 31 years old. Wow! So he played and, in every single yeah. game. So, so every starting lineup, you saw that guy. You saw Gary Matthews' name in the lineup. Yeah, I'm not, well, it, it was it was ordered. I was on Baseball Reference, so it was ordered by games played. So I'm sure. Oh, okay. He didn't yeah. start, but right. He's still so somewhere around some there. Sort of, some sort of stat or entered into the game at some point. Um, yeah. Which, like, you would never or you will never ever see it again, and it hasn't happened. And I want to look up that, you know, how many guys have played that in a season. I'm sure it's minimal. But I thought that was interesting. And then the funny thing, too, is in that same year when he played in 162 games, he hit into 23 double plays, which was by far the worst of any year in his career. Uh, he... It was like I think the average for him was like around twelve, so like twenty three double plays. I don't know if they should have been playing him one hundred sixty two games. Um, but another interesting stat is that even though he's this great player and everything, the Cubs was the team he had his worst average with uh, on Atlanta and San Fran. He had like a two eighty six uh, or something like that, like a two eighty six average, and uh, he had a two sixty six with the Cubs. Uh, and he never was a big home run guy. He averaged about 19 homers a year, along with 78 RBIs. So nothing like super special, but day in and day out, like a great player. Uh, he never won a World Series. He lost one uh, when he was with Philly, uh, and they lost against Baltimore. But he fared pretty well numbers wise, at, at, you know, numbers wise in his four postseason series. And I'm also getting word from Benson, our producer, that. Actually, five five players last year played in 162 games, which is incredible. I didn't think it was that much at all. I thought this happened like once every 10 years. Anyways, well, I guess I was a little bit wrong. But, yeah, uh, last year, last year, Cody Bellinger, Nick Markakis, Freddie Freeman, Freddie Galvis, and Trey Turner, I believe, uh, all played 162 games. So, so much for that stat and trying to act cool. But go ahead, Max. Yeah, um, so like you said, Thomas, uh, a few interesting sets there. Um, and like you just said um, about Nick Markakis and Freddie Freeman, um, both of those guys were on Atlanta. So um, 162 games each, um, you had a first yeah, baseman. Nice. Yeah, you had a first baseman and an, out- and an outfielder um, playing every day named Freddie Freeman and Nick Markakis, which is um, pretty wild to me. Um, so mm-hmm. here's another few interesting things, too, that I found. Um, in his last MLB plate appearance, um, uh, Matthews faced Texas Rangers pitcher Mitch Williams. Um, I don't know if you've heard his name or not. 
Um, he played from six. He played for six teams from 1986 to 1997, um, and singled. But he was picked off in the next at bat, ending the ball game. Um, that's not something you normally see, let alone the dude getting picked off to end the ball game in his last career plate appearance. Um, that's yeah. something I found pretty interesting. Um, and a few other um things too. Um, in 1979, he was an all-star. Um, 1973, he was NL Rookie of the Year. In 1983, he was NLCS MVP um, with the Phillies. Um, and obviously, he was on that outstanding um, Cubs team in 1984. Um, obviously, yep. um, a great team. Um, my dad actually tells me about them quite a lot. So, um I mean, it's fun to hear, um, and Gary Matthews was a big part of that team after going to the playoffs the year before, um, and actually the World Series, too, which he ended up losing. Um, so I, th- I found that pretty pretty interesting. Um, so after retiring after the 1987 um, season, he actually came back to the Cubs um, and was a broadcaster in a private industry. Um, and then in 1995, he was a minor league hitting coordinator. Um, and he stayed there for three years. Um, he then left the Cubs to become the tr- the Toronto Blue Jays hitting coach, um, was a member of the Blue Jays coaching staff for two years, then joined the broadcast team for two seasons. Um, he then returned to the field in 2002 as Milwaukee's hitting coach and served as a coach for the Cubs from 2003 to 2006. Um, so he really was all over. Uh, like you said, he started um, with the Giants, in his career, then went to Atlanta, to Philly, to Chicago, and then to Seattle. Um, and then even his coaching career too, he was he was really all over too. Um, and then even after he wasn't coaching anymore, um, he was actually um, he actually kept going with his broadcast career. Um, he was a color analyst for the Phillies from 2007 to 2013. Um, and then, so in his first year with the Phillies uh, broadcast career, he was an analyst um, with Harry Callis and Chris Wheeler. Um, th- those guys pretty much broadcasted the game and split time doing that. Um, so Matthews really was pretty much all over. Um, and finally, January 8, 2014, um, they were both relieved from the Phillies, um, and they both uh, had lost their jobs um, there, but they were put somewhere else in the organization. Um, so really, he was he was pretty much all over the United States and even um, up in Canada with the Blue Jays too. Um, so when you look at the dude, he's been pretty much everywhere. Um, but really, a lot of people remember him from that 1984 year with the Cubs. Yeah, and I just have a few more things to add. Kind of going back to his postseason stats, um, I do want to mention that that 1984 series was against the Padres. Uh, we did end up losing in a 3-2. It was game five, best of five. And actually, the Cubs' first game was at home at Wrigley, and they won 13-0 to with Rick, with Rick Sutcliffe on the mound. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, but Gary Matthews in the postseason – uh, he had a home run in every series that he played, which I thought was at least one home run. Uh, he actually had three home runs in the one that he was the MVP when he was at the Phillies against the Dodgers, in which they won in the MLCS in 83. And then in the Cubs one, he uh, he only batted 200 with a batting average 200, but 
he took six walks and had two home runs with five RBIs in that in that five game series. So, I mean, that's pretty incredible. And then also, um, I think that <clears throat> that number with the 103 walks in that same year in '84, the year that he that we lost Padres, he had a 410 on base percentage, which that was his best of his career. So definitely all the stars were aligning for that Cubs team to possibly uh, break the whatever year streak it was of not having the World Series, but they weren't able to get it done. Uh, do you have anything else to add about Gary Matthews, Max? Uh, or should we talk a few minutes about the pitch clock and then get on out? Yeah, a few other things on Gary Matthews. Um, he was – so his his um, son, I believe, um, Gary Matthews Jr., um, he was only one of seven father-son combinations in Cub history, um, and the other another son, Delvin, was a member of the Milwaukee Brewers minor league system in 2000 to 2001 um, that season. So um, it's pretty interesting that um, really their whole family ha- was um, was with the Cubs or um, with uh, now, if you want to call them the rival Brewers. Um, so really they were all, um, they all grew up playing baseball and, um, I'd guess that you would see Gary Matthews carrying his kid around in the clubhouse and then he went to go play with, um, the Cubs one day too. Yeah, definitely. So now just to wrap up the show, I know we have a couple minutes. I want to discuss the pitch clock situation, Max, uh, just for all the viewers out there. I'll give a little overview of it. I'll give my take and then you can give your take. Uh, but so the MLB is going to roll up the clock, the pitch clock, with a three-phase approach. According to a release from the league office, uh, the first spring training games, the 20-second timer will operate without enforcement so as to make players and umpires familiar with the new system. So if you watch any of the spring training games, they frequently show you the clock. Uh, and then early next week, umpires will issue reminders to pitchers and hitters who violate the rule. Uh, there will be no penalties yet, uh, but uh, – that's the second phase. And then the third phase is later in spring training, and depending on the status of the negotiations with the MLB Players Association, umpires will be instructed to begin assessing all strike penalties for violations. And I know that Benson told us the lowest they got today during the Pirates game was three seconds. Uh, so we've seen pretty good success with it. But for me, when it comes down to it, I think there's got to be uh, there's got to be a uh, adjustment to the rule in that if it is the postseason or if it's, you know, it, it's hard to make an exception, though, with like, oh, it's a big pitch, you know, quote-unquote a big pitch, uh, because I would want my pitcher to have more than 20 seconds. And I know I was watching a little bit of uh, the Yankees-Red Sox game on MLB TV, uh, but they were saying that, you know, it takes 20 seconds already for the hitter to kind of evaluate what was thrown to them and then get ready for the next pitch. So, it's cutting it a little close for me, and uh, I definitely want my pitcher to have more time when it comes down to the crucial innings. How about you, Max? What do you feel about the pitch clock? Um, I agree with you, um, but a few things to add, too. Um, I think if you're a pitcher and you have 20 seconds and you realize that um, you you only have 20 seconds, I, f- I think you would feel um, more pressured to pitch and um, to get things done quicker, which leads um, – to stress in your head, um, and then you don't pitch as well. Um, so really I find it kind of silly. I mean, obviously spring training, um, it's not like you're going for a World Series ring or anything. Um, I mean, sure, test it out, but it's not something that I would want to see in the MOB now. 
Yeah, definitely. So with that, Max, is going to wrap up our eighth episode of the Ivy Podcast here on February 24th. We look forward to seeing you guys next week on March 3rd for our ninth episode as spring training rolls along. Specific time will be to be determined, but we'll let you know via our Instagrams, at Nation 2018 and at Wrigley News throughout the week what time it'll be at. And lastly, as always, go Cubs go, and we hope you guys have a relaxing rest of your Sunday night. Thanks, everyone. Bipolar with the check. Bipolar. I should put some crazy around my neck. The Ivy is produced by Benson Fetcher. The Ivy is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our hosts a follow on Instagram, Thomas, at CubsNation2018, and Max, at Wrigley News. For more of the Ivy content, be sure to head over to our website at BaseballPodcastNet.com. And be sure to give the Baseball Podcast Network a follow on all their social media platforms. Instagram, at BaseballPodcastNet. Twitter, at BaseballPodcast1. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-1, YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network, and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to the Ivy. We'll see you next week.